Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. You may be wondering why in the world we would be talking about death when our focus has been on authentic life. Well, I'll tell you, death is the most mysterious and frightening aspect of life, and because that's true, it must be configured into the paradigm of life. Dr. Raymond Moody, our guest for today, can help us to do just that. Dr. Moody was the first to study and authenticate what he coined the near-death experience in which a person actually dies, is revived, and can remember what happened between life, death, and life. He's the author of 11 best-selling books. His book, Life After Life, investigates the stories of over 100 people who experienced a near-death experience. This book forever changed the way we look at both death and life. Many of the people who have had this experience report that their near-death experience actually made them more aware of life at its vital essence, or the authentic self. The Light Beyond, another book, investigates 1,000 more cases and inspires people to understand death as an aspect of life rather than an end to life. And he also wrote Reunions, in which he makes a cogent and persuasive argument for our ability to contact the dead through his work with 300 people. Currently, Dr. Moody offers personal consultation to help people deal with grief and the reality of death. Raymond, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. I so appreciate you taking your time and energy to give to our listeners some of your wisdom. Well, to the contrary, I am the one who is blessed and honored, and just I thank you so much for this opportunity. Okay, well, let's get started. Let me ask you this, just as a rounded-off big question to start off with a pop. What happens after death? Well, after death, the fact is that we really don't know, but we do know what happens to people on the brink of death. We know that very well now because uh, near-death experiences have been studied by physicians literally all over the world, and there does seem to be a common pattern of events that take place as people are dying that, at least to them, assure them personally that that continues and that what we call death is a transition into another kind of reality. Okay. So, so what kinds of experiences do, do, have been classically reported to, to um, give us that information? What our patients tell us who return from death is that at this point where their heart stops beating often or when they're Doctor, they hear their doctors say that they have died, that from, uh, they change perspectives on the situation very dramatically, and they tell us that they rise up, they float up, and that they can see their own physical bodies down below, typically on the operating room table or amidst the wreckage at the scene of an accident. And <clears throat> from this perspective, they can uh, scrutinize exactly what's happening as they're as the physicians try to resuscitate their bodies. 
but uh, they say that they are no longer identified with that body that they see down below. And, and, and even though they're out of their body, they seem paradoxically more alive and more awake and aware than we are in ordinary waking consciousness. And as this proceeds, they, they, um, um, they can understand perfectly what the doctors and nurses are saying and uh, communicating down below, although when they try to communicate in turn, they try to ask the doctor, how can it be that I'm out of my body looking at the, my body down below? Uh, they find that no one can see them or no one can hear them. And it's at this point that they seem to enter into an aspect of this near-death experience, which we can call transcendental, because people who come back from this, no matter how articulate that they may be or how many languages they may speak or however well-educated, everyone says that there are simply no words to describe what, ha- what follows next, that it, it lies beyond our ability to put it into ordinary words. But the best that they can do is to say that they become aware of a passageway, which they may compare to a tunnel. And they say that they seem to go through this passageway, and they come out on the other side into an incredibly brilliant and warm and loving light, that as they go into this light, they just feel taken up in feelings of comfort, peace, and joy. And in that light, say that relatives or friends of theirs who have already died seem to be there in spirit form, so to speak, to meet them and to greet them and to take them through this, um, this experience. And um, then as the experience proceeds, they tell us that everything else sort of disappears and is replaced by a full-color, moving, three-dimensional panorama which consists of every single event or action that they have ever done in their lives is displayed around them instantly in a sort of holographic panorama. So they see everything they've ever done. And people say at this point that when this happens, you are not reliving these events from the perspective you had when you did these things, but rather you see yourself as another person and and you empathically identify with the people with whom you have interacted. And hence, if you see yourself in this panorama doing an unkind or unloving action to one of your fellow human beings, then you feel the sad feelings you have brought about in that person's life. Or if you see yourself doing a good thing for someone else, then you feel the good feelings you've brought about in that person's life. And Throughout this, people say that they feel often that they are in the presence of a being of complete compassion and love who, who sort of helps them through this panorama. Um, at some point, everybody has to come back, that I've talked to anyway. Um, some say they have no idea how they got back, that at one moment they were in this light and the next moment they found themselves back on their bodies, back in their bodies on an operating room table with no sense of trans- transition. Others will tell us that they were told they had to go back, that perhaps this one of their relatives who had already died, was, who was there with them, said, in effect, you have to go back. There are things left to do that you haven't finished yet. 
And a third group of people tell us that they were given a choice, that they were told that they could either go on in this experience or they could return to the life they had been living. And um, uh, obviously, all the ones I've talked with who have given them that choice chose to come back. But, but it's interesting that they tell us that for themselves they would rather have stayed in that light, but they chose to come back specifically usually because they had young children left to raise. That's almost always what it is. Or other times people will say that it's um, some other relative or friend that they had to go back for. But uh, the, the point being that for themselves, they really would rather have stayed in this experience. And, and once people come back from this, we find um, very dramatic changes in their lives. They tell us that... Uh, whatever they had been chasing up to this point, whether it was um, uh, money or power or fame or any of these other things, that they learned through their experience that the most important thing we can do while we're alive is to learn how to love. So that comes into their life then as a very powerful uh, goal and motivator. And they also tell us that after this experience, they just have no doubt whatsoever that what we call death is a transition into some other reality. So they have no more fear of death. Strangely enough, I've had a lot of people remark in, in pretty much the same words that um, at this time that their doctors said that they were dead, that paradoxically they were more alive than they had ever been. Mm-hmm. So when they come back and they, they're uh, living that life again, they're experiencing at least a little piece of that sense of being more alive. Yes, people do say that really absolutely, and that uh, after a full-blown experience in which they experience all of these things, there is forever after a kind of nostalgia, people say that they always have a kind of homesickness almost, or, or yearning for that state of consciousness they were in uh, while this happens. And, and uh, yes, it's as though they bring a little piece of it back. Um, now, that's not to say that it makes this life any easier. Uh, people say, for example, that after this experience that um, you, you genuinely do see that the most important thing is to, is to learn how to love, but that still that's a very difficult thing to put into practice in, in everyday reality. So it, it sort of it puts them on a spiritual quest, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And learning how to love also means learning what love really is, I guess. That's right. That's right. Many people have made exactly that point, that it's, it's the kind of love that you feel genuinely, genuine, genuine selfless love of, of others and also of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they have a whole lot to teach us all about what it is to love, I guess. that I, I could imagine, I haven't ever done this, but I would love to sit down in the same room with someone who's had that experience and and just, you know, peel the layers off and say, tell me, tell me, tell me all. I must say, to me, that's just been the most, one of the, most, the highlights of, of my life and certainly the highlight of my professional life to be able to do just that. Literally, to sit with thousands of people from all over the world as they have told me these absolutely wonderful, incredible stories. I mean, it just never gets... Uh, uh, it never loses its interest. It's always exciting because every every person is a little different, of course, and um, and 
you always see that unique personality coming through and also the influence of that kind of experience that really takes people into a transcendental world. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it, the week seldom goes by that I don't um, hear from one or two or sometimes several people who've had these amazing things happen to them. It's, it's very, very inspiring. It really is. Well, and so uh, we don't have a whole lot of time before the break, but I'd like to at least get a start on how do you think this experience has changed your life? Well, in a way, since the first person, the first time I read about this experience was in 1962 in uh, Plato's Republic. And ever, I, I am a great um, fan of Plato's okay. uh, since I was a, since I was 18 and first read Plato, uh, he is my hero in a way. And and in the Republic was the first that I had ever seen such an experience. That was in '62, as I said. Three years later, um, in 1965, I heard this story from a living human being, Dr. George Ritchie, who at that time was a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia, and. So at that time, I was only 20 years old, and so this, in a way, has been integrated in my life. As I've grown up, I don't really, I can't imagine what my life would have been like without knowing these things. Okay, so it's just been this smooth sort of synchronistic journey for you. Yes, and and together with the continual application of the process of reason to try to understand these things better, because they are still a very great mystery, just as you said um, at the beginning. Okay, well, we're going to take a break now. This is Andrea Matthews with Authentic Living. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Are you ready to crash through illusion, break through your personal barriers, and slay the internal nemesis of your dark side? TNT is here to awaken your soul and unravel the hidden messages of your unconscious mind. Discover your hidden treasure map and use TNT to find the tools you need to become your own demolition tech. Collapse the old and choose the new. It's Dynamite Awareness with TNT. Tracy Irons and Tracy McMahon every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network and visit us at www.dynamiteawareness.com. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part 
in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Are you in need of a cosmic kick? Are you frustrated with your ability to move forward in all areas of your life and spiritual growth? Adrian Wentworth is a master at getting you unstuck. A fearless and grounded healer and teacher, Adrian covers subjects that few will touch and reveals the missing keys to your success. Be uplifted by the healing energies that flow through her as she shares her profound wisdom and helps you shift past your obstacles to create the life you long for. Listen to Cosmic Kick with Adrian Wentworth every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Seventh Wave Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking to Dr. Raymond Moody about the near-death experience. And just before the break, uh, Raymond, we were talking about your life and how your life has changed as a result. And you uh, were saying that basically you had not known a life without understanding something about a near-death experience. That's right. Since I was 18, at least, this has been a big part of my life. And uh, I'm still working on this. And I think that the most important question that we face as human beings is whether there is a life after death. And, um, and I think once you, you take on that question as a scholar, it really puts a heavy burden on your shoulders of responsibility because, um, you know, people tend to trust things with, that people say often who have mm-hmm. an MD or a PhD behind their names. And um, to me, that's, that brings about a, a solemn responsibility because these um, these things do sort of indicate that there is a life after death on the face of them. And as a scholar, what you need to do is to really to be sure that you uh, have all of, you know, your reasoning is very sound because to, to uh, put out some sort of flimsy statement to people that this is related to life after death, well, that brings up people's hopes and, and so on. And then if you have to retract later on, you see that's, they, they're worse off for, for interacting with you. So um, it's, it's a wonderful question to have to, to spend your life investigating, I think. It really is. Mm, sounds yeah. like it was definitely a calling for you. You know, I, I wonder, you know, what you've just said is really important, uh, that whole mystery and, and, and keeping some skepticism about you when you're going through the business of, of looking at the reality and questioning what's true and what's false about death and knowing that people are listening and paying attention. In that same vein, there are a couple of people who have reported, and I know you've heard about these and may have known some people who did this, had experiences that were extremely negative when they passed over, or at least they reported these experiences. What, 
What do you say about that? Well, absolutely, there are some that are very negative. Um, they seem to be a very small percentage uh, compared to the, the number of the more positive ones. Um, and also, they seem to be a lot more variegated. That is, that they fall into several categories, the, the smallest category of which is, is people who see extremely uh, or hellish imagery, as, as um, people imagine. And just to tell you the truth, Andrea, uh, there's so few of these, I, I have a hard time really making any... any um, any certainty about it myself. Uh, excuse me, my daughter just came in and tripped here. Okay. I did a thrill. Okay, she's well, fine. We're experiencing Raymond Moody in the, in the raw life of Raymond Moody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter tripped in the in the doorway there. So, okay. Okay, she's okay now. Okay. Okay. All right. So you were saying the negative experiences were, um, you know, so such a small minority. That's right. And that doesn't mean that they're not important. It's just that um, I've heard so few of them that I don't really know. I don't really have much of a basis to make an assessment. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one, one difficulty with this has been that... that um, that some years ago the the, mud, the waters were sort of muddied by someone who who um, who wrote a book with a lot of cases allegedly of hellish near death experiences. But upon investigation, this turned out to have been um, apparently not very reliable. Okay, and so. You know, that sort of <laughs> situation um, creates difficulties. Apparently, the person had in mind um, um, scaring people, which is what later came to light to, in an attempt to try to frighten them into his religious uh, belief. But those kinds of things happen, and, and then they always get corrected in the end when that didn't... Um, when that didn't work out, then that in itself tells us something. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know really what to tell you about the negative experiences, except that they seem to be rare and they seem to not be as homogenous as um, the ones that you and I have talked about earlier. Right. So, you know, you have also alluded to the fact in your book uh, that, in your books, that people can tap into all kinds of knowledge. Um, what, do you, what kinds of information have you gotten from the other side that's, that's been pretty amazing for you? Well, one very inspiring thing, uh, Andrea, is that a very small percentage of, of the people who come back from this experience have added aspects of it um, in which they seem to see structures uh, that they find very difficult to put into words, entire realms of being. And um, 
these people tend to be people who have had extremely lengthy cardiac arrest that really are far beyond any medical expectation that they would live. And one thing that's very pleasing to me as a scholar is that um, those people have described how there seems to be an entire realm of knowledge. Uh, In other words, um, one entire realm of existence that seems to be devoted to people learning things. And um, now, in terms of being able to bring back specific items of knowledge. I haven't, I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. But what we do hear is that people who come back from this say that <clears throat> they learn from their experience that what we learn in life is important and that uh, this Dr. George Ritchie that I mentioned, the psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, uh, told me uh, back in 1965 that... Um, that this being that he was with going, going through his experience said, in effect, that this process of learning does not stop when you die, that even after death there's the process where we uh, go on learning. And that stands to reason to me because um, the fullness of life, I guess, is what we're looking for on the other side. And the, the, the idea that uh, the pursuit of knowledge, for example, doesn't, when you die. Um, one thing that is fairly common, I think, for people who've had a near-death experience to do is that after they recover, they go back to school. I've heard that many times. Uh, huh. People say that they were so inspired what, by what they saw that they had to get busy um, learning in this life. A wonderful uh, friend of mine na- named Vi Horton, who died some years ago, but I knew Vi for 20 or 30 years before, before her death. Um, she, uh, and I got to know her family very well, and, and Vi used to come visit me. I, I got to know her because of her near-death experience. She used to come and visit me, and she would uh, raid my library of books on psychology and philosophy and sometimes read two books a day. Wow. And her sisters, her older sisters, told me that prior to her near-death experience, Vi's only reading material consisted of romance novels, so that she had undergone this genuine um, um, transition in this uh, almost passionate desire for knowledge that she had. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of opened up something in there that just said, oh, this has to be filled. It does, it does, it does. And um, it has to me, too. I mean, I, maybe I should say a little bit about my own background. I was not really raised religious. Uh, my grandparents had been Presbyterians, my moody grandparents, but um, my father was a military officer in World War II, and also he was a surgeon. And, you know, that, that kind of combination of personality, he, he really um, did not put much put much, much store um, in religion. And so I sort of picked that attitude up for him. I, I began um, to um, build telescopes when I was seven years old, and I um, have been passionate about astronomy ever since that time. And um, so I had grown up kind of insulated from ideas about life after death. And 
the first that I ever really had any contact with this notion was in connection with the writings of Plato. And so it has really uh, filled my life in a very interesting way to see that unfold because it is, it is the most important mystery, and it's one that um, we, I think we need to treat it with real respect because um, a lot of people are grieving, and for a doctor or physician, you know, to say, oh, look at this, this is evidence that proves that there's life after death, we can't do that. That's, that's not right to people. And so what it gives us is a, is a real um, a question that lends itself to rational inquiry, but that is very, very, very difficult, I think, to get the final answer on. Okay. Okay, and we're going to talk some more about that after the break. This is Andrea Matthews with the Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network.
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with Authentic Living and talking to Dr. Raymond Moody. Before the break, uh, Raymond, you were talking about uh, how this, this whole information about knowledge of afterlife or the, the not empirical knowledge yet, but knowledge of the afterlife might help doctors to help people. Um, I want to follow up on that a little bit. Well, it absolutely does, and I think that it is a rash act of irresponsibility for anybody with a Ph.D. or an M.D. to get out in front of the public and tell us that this kind of information gives us evidence or proof of an afterlife because it doesn't. There are major problems of um, uh, dealing with the whole notion of um, how you would give evidence or proof of an afterlife. However, it's also a fact that Many people who come close to death do have these experiences, and that information by itself, I think, is very helpful to patients, for example, who are terminally ill. Um, I mean, we can't prove that there's an afterlife by these things, but at least they give us hope. And um, I've known over the years a a number of uh, physicians who have... um, um, use this in exactly this way, that when their patients ask them, what do we know, if anything, about what the process of dying is like, I think it's completely legitimate to, um, to give um, the patients this information. Mm-hmm. And um, also I think, I know, I've known a lot of patients, and I, I mean a lot of physicians, and I would include myself among them, who um, contact with these people really does change something inside of you. I mean, it, it doesn't make you perfect or a saint. It, matter of fact, it sort of acquaints you more with, the, with your limitations in that regard. Um, but at the same time, well, I think maybe the best way I could describe this in terms of how it's affected me is that um, over the years I've tried and practiced on this to try to get it as as good as I can, but that whatever interactions that I'm having with people, I always try to keep a channel open in my mind, in effect, reminding myself that in all likelihood that at some point in the future I'm going to be reliving this event and that I will be able to know how my actions and words are affecting other people. And if you do that more and more, I think over the years I've, maybe, you know, 20 years ago I was still down at the 20% level of being able to do that. But as you practice more and more, you finally get to the point where at least in the majority of your interactions, you can keep that going in your mind, which is a kind of added way, I think, to that helps you be kind to people, and um, and that's 
one effect that this this knowing about these things has had on me that I think I would not have been that kind of person unless I had known these things. Just to, to always remember, no matter what we're doing, that uh, you know that people are affected by what we say. Right, and, uh, and I know you're not talking about any kind of ingenuine being kind, but really a genuine, heartfelt compassion and and connection to other people. Yes, yes. It, you know, you, you, you try to practice it, and uh, then you, you see the value of practicing it just by doing that. So it, it, does, um, it does bring about this, uh, this state in which you really do see that the most important thing we can do while we're alive is to learn how to love. That, that is very clear to me mm-hmm. um, because of, because of learning it first through these experiences and then trying to practice it in my own life. And still, even with that, knowing that I am a limited human being, that I've still got a long way to go on that one. Right, right, and don't we all? You know, one of the things I'm hearing, of course, that matches with our the whole notion of this show and the purpose of the show was, is that I'm hearing that this thing helps people to really tap into the authentic self, to really, really connect with that deeper part of yourself that is hungry for wisdom and knowledge and that is wanting to connect with other people and connect on a deeper level with the self. Absolutely it does that. It does that. And just reading and hearing about this and and hearing this from other people is also, um, has that same effect. Mm -hmm. In other words... It, oh my. Um, my daughter is hurt here. Just think. Well, we're having another real-life episode in the life of Dr. Raymond Moody. <laughs> Our listeners have all been there and understand what it's like on this one day that this one thing would happen. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm sorry. It's all right. Okay. I think that's fixed for now. Okay. So you were talking about how this experience has, has helped you to really tune in to this whole lesson of being more in tune with what love really is. Yes, yes. And again, with the proviso that uh, it doesn't make you perfect. However, I mean, it really does. Um, it, it makes you realize there's something to this and to keep trying. Mm-hmm. And um, also to me it's been... Um, very fulfilling in the sense that uh, Plato was fascinated by these near-death experiences and the very earliest Greek philosophers who have uh, really set down the whole game plan for Western civilization, the way we think, the division of, uh, of rational knowledge into the various uh, disciplines and so on, uh, um, the logic we use, uh, the whole Western way of thinking had its origins in a strange way in these near-death experiences because uh, this was a very active topic for the earliest Greek philosophers. What do these experiences mean of people who almost die? And Democritus, the ancient Greek philosopher who was a contemporary roughly of Plato's, who figured out the atomic theory of matter, was very interested in these things too. And he, he had a little different take on it than Plato's. Um, Democritus would be an example of what we think of today as the medical materialist who says, oh, there's, you know, this is, um, 
not anything to do with life after death. This is just the, um, the winding down of the, the body. Um, and, and Democritus said um, that uh, there's no such thing, he said, as a moment of death. And what he was implying there was that these experiences um, take place as the, as the body is, is winding down and heading toward the death state. But, but really, even after 2,300 years, see, we still, this is not resolved. Um, you hear these people saying that, oh, these, are, these experiences are obviously the hallucinatory effect of the, the dying brain, but um, really that's just a philosophical opinion. It's, uh, um, we really don't know what these things mean, and that's, that's one um, very exciting fact about them. One difficulty that arises actually with this medical materialist view that this is a hallucinatory effect of the dying brain is that, um, paradoxically enough, it's, it's very common for bystanders at the bedside of a dying loved one to have these same experiences. In other words, as grandma is in the bed and grandma passes away, um, the bystanders themselves often have these feelings of leaving their body and, um, and seeing relatives come who, um, to, to meet the person who's just died. And my question would be, you see, if, if these experiences are just um, something happening in the brain of the person who's dying and is being deprived of oxygen, then why would the bystanders have identically the same experiences? And... Um, so we're dealing here with a real first-class mystery, and um, I think we're very fortunate to live in a time worldwide where these resuscitations are so common that um, literally we have millions and millions and millions of people around the world who have been to a state that in the past was just called death, and they have brought back very upbeat and... Uh, positive and inspiring messages from that state of being. So this is, to me, this is good news. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also inspired medical professionals and other scientists to initiate their own kind of aggressive uh, research into this. But like you said, it's going to be hard to find a methodology by which you can actually prove this. But I hope they can. It is. And sadly... As we both know, there will always be people who think that they, you know, who, who let their beliefs get in the way and cloud their scientific judgment. And those people, I mean, it's, it's too bad. But um, I think still there will be legitimate scholars who stay on the right track with this and, and try to apply the best methods of reason to it. Yeah, I hope so. This is, again, our next break. This is Andrea Matthews with Authentic Living. We'll be back in just a moment. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. 
When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, and we're back, and I want to spend a few minutes talking to Dr. Moody about um, the book Reunions and the understanding that he has gained through his uh, research with regard to contacting the deceased. Well, yes, Andrea. I, again, this goes back to me, uh, with me to the ancient Greeks because uh, these earliest Greek philosophers were thought by their contemporaries to be people who called up the spirits of the dead. And a little historical background on this. The ancient Greeks had institutions called oracles of the dead or psychomantions, where they had various procedures for precipitating what seemed to the people who came to be actual vis- visions and vis- visitations with the deceased. And so to make a long story short, um, in the mid-1980s, I read the archaeological report that had been 
published on the findings of one of the most famous oracles of the dead, which was rediscovered in the 1970s in northwest Greece. And based on what the archaeologist found there, and coupling that with my knowledge of the, of the mind, I was able to, um, to actually recreate this procedure and apparatus they had. Basically what they had was a chamber uh, which had a reflective instrument in it which enabled people to gaze into what's called an optical clear depth. And that's a fancy word for, just for example, the experience of gazing into a clear pond where you, do, you don't see any reflections, but you can just gaze into a clear depth. And after preparation, you take people through a procedure during which you get them to choose somebody who has died that they wish to see again and then to talk about this person in a very deep way and to bring up their feelings and their both pleasant and unpleasant memories. And then I put them into this little room for about an hour, um, and um, they gaze away into an optical depth, which is created by having a mirror placed at an angle where they cannot see their own reflection. And uh, under those circumstances, about half of the subjects on the first attempt do see... Um, full-color, moving, three-dimensional visions or apparitional experiences of their departed loved ones. Now, again here, um, this comes with a very great feeling of reality. In other words, people interpret this not to be like a dream or a visionary state, but they interpret it to be an actual event. Of course, that doesn't mean that it is real. That's indeterminable. But the, the important aspect of this work is that we do have a technique now that enables people to have that experience that we all want of five more minutes. I hear uh, people all the time who come to me because of grief say that, that if I only had five more minutes. Well, by taking over this um, this procedure from the ancient world, we can now do that. We can take people through an experience in which they actually do seem to see and to visit with their departed relatives in a full waking state of awareness. And the nicest part about this is that it does give people a degree of relief from their grieving process. Um, incidentally, I uh, started this work in the mid-80s and did the first experiments with it in, the, in 1990. And since then, it's been um, reproduced by many other investigators all around the world who've done this same thing. So, um, and I'm saying that because, uh, you know, this is a wacky-sounding thing, let's admit it. <laughs> and, um, but the fact that it can easily be reproduced by essentially any serious investigator who wants to do it can put this up and see this for themselves. And, um, and the nice thing, as I said, is that we do have a method here that, as we know more about it, might well come, become a good uh, adjunct to grief therapy. And, and also, lurking behind all that, in addition to the benefits it brings, that I think it does enable us also to understand our Western heritage a lot more deeply because... Uh, 
as I said, the, the Greek philosophers who were closely involved with this procedure also happened to be the people who um, sat down the whole way of thinking that we, that we use even in everyday life. Right. So what you're saying essentially is, uh, for some people I'm sure mind-boggling, but what you're essentially saying is that we can really finish some of our business with the people that have gone on and, and, and sort of that helps us let go better and allow them their transition. Well, yes. I mean, I think you can tell by talking with me already that I am a skeptic in that genuine ancient Greek sense that I just, I don't like to draw conclusions. But, uh, I mean, insofar as I think the, the work that's been done, not just by me but by other investigators on this, really does support that, mm-hmm. that uh, there is a reliable way now of taking people through a procedure during which they seem from their perspective, absolutely, to see and converse with their departed loved ones. And, and all the work done so far suggests that this does really deeply help people with their grief. And mm-hmm. so that's a, to me, that's a very good thing. Right. And as we know, grief is that whole process of acceptance moving toward, well, this is the reality that I live in and the acceptance of someone else moving on to another reality is a difficult one for us to transition to. Yeah, that would definitely be what yeah. I do. And, you know, I mean, I've, I'm 64 like many other people in my age range. You know, you, you learn sadly when you get into this age range that your loved ones begin to die. And uh, my wife and I lost 15 close family members over a 15-year period. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's tough. It's Grief is a very, very difficult thing to go through. And so um, to me it's a wonderful thing that uh, whatever the ultimate reality of this is, I mean, that's indeterminable, but um, at least we do have a way now that seems to be fairly reliable uh, that does give people the beginnings of a sense of peace when they've, they've lost loved ones to death. So if someone wanted to contact you for grief consultation or to visit the Psychomantium, mm-hmm. uh, how would they do that? Um, well, my website is lifeafterlife.com, and um, I can give a phone number. Okay. Yeah, my phone number is uh, 256 835 7811 or you can uh, email me at Raymond, N-D-E, that's R-A-Y-M-O-N-D, N-D-E, um, at AOL.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, our listeners, I hope they took down that information. That's lifeafterlife.com um, and or Raymond NDE at AOL.com, 256-835-7811. You know, I think one of, the, one of the gifts from all of this has been certainly your openness to exploring this as a real thing to explore. I think so many times we just accept it as just the reality and we just have to go on and deal with it, but exploration is a whole different thing. So I'm so grateful that you came on our show today, Raymond, to tell us about this. Oh, my goodness, I'm just honored. And uh, 
Thanks. Also, greetings to all the people listening to us. And uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's just a wonderful opportunity to talk about my favorite uh, subject, at least in the professional domain, is this uh, endless mystery of whether we live after we die. Absolutely. And this is Authentic Living. We'll be back next week to talk with Julia Cameron about creativity and authenticity. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.